The time is here. The time is now. I have made it to the promised land that is Jupiter, Florida and Cardinal Spring Training. Well, I, I, sort of. Kind of. I'll explain. Welcome into the show. Brendan Schaefer joining you here for another edition of b Shafe Daily. Happy to be here with you on this Wednesday episode of the show. And so I just got into my Airbnb where I'm staying. It's actually in West Palm Beach, not Jupiter. I'll have a little uh, 15 to 20 minute drive. I guess I'll be able to let you know on tomorrow's episode exactly how far the drive is because I actually did not get a chance yet to go to the Cardinals complex today because my flight schedule was regrettable. I had to get up around 3 a.m. local St. Louis time coaxed my sister into giving me a ride to the airport around 3.30, got to the airport around 4, like to get there in plenty of time. I'm never like the two hours guy unless it's Thanksgiving or, you know, a heavy holiday travel weekend, that sort of thing. But I figured just to be safe, let's go ahead and get there hour and a half, hour 15 early. Did that, checked a bag, something I normally don't do. But when you're staying somewhere for three weeks, you tend to need more clothing, more variety in your shoes. I packed a few pairs of shoes. And so, my flight left St. Louis at 5.35, had a layover in Atlanta, didn't get in here until afternoon. Stopped by the store, pick up a few things on my way, getting set up now at the Airbnb. Cardinals stuff probably done for the day, so I, I didn't bother going over there today. We'll get a fresh start at it early tomorrow morning. Got a few things I have to do later on tonight as well. But I'm very excited to be down here. But today's episode, not going to feature sights and sounds and opinions based on what was viewed at Cardinals camp today. They had their practices over at the facilities at Roger Dean Stadium. And I'll be there tomorrow. But for today, I want to talk about something that broke a little bit earlier in the week. Not necessarily Cardinals related, but baseball related. And the growing kind of uh, attention that is being paid to the performance of the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred. Uh, You know, for a while, fans on Twitter, baseball fans, not just Cardinals fans, I think I've seen this across the board, that baseball fans have not been a big fan of Manfred's performance of late or at all since he took over as the commissioner years ago. What's it been now, like five or six years? I guess he became commissioner in... 2015, early 2015, so about five years, a little more than five years since Manfred took over from Bud Selig as the commissioner of Major League Baseball. And there have been things along the way that have been worthy of criticism. You know, uh, of late, it's been the juice ball and the way Major League Baseball has kind of just washed their hands of that whole situation where, you know, people are doing studies and, and people are players are not speculating, but they're saying like the ball feels different. The ball behaves different than it did in the past. And they basically have kind of washed their hands of that. Major League Baseball has to say, uh, you know, the process that goes into making a baseball, it's never going to be the same every time. So there will be some variance. Sorry about that. Like that was basically their response in in an official capacity uh, regarding the juice ball. And there have been the various rule changes proposed. Some of them have since been enacted over the years that fans are saying and they're wondering, like, why are you doing these things to baseball that nobody really asked for 
in a lot of cases with with some of the rule changes that have been floated rather than you know fixing certain elements of the fan experience that that people would like to see improved upon and it seemed like there's just been a disconnect especially between the commissioner commissioner's office and fans of the game but now we're starting to see that seep into the players of the game as well with what has gone on this offseason the handling of the Astros cheating scandal you know players got off easy they're basically granted immunity for telling their side of what took place the franchise the Astros weren't really penalized the 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 actors within the franchise were they were suspended for a year and then since fired by Jim Crane the owner in Houston but overall a lot of people feel like and I think this is probably prevalent across baseball not just baseball fans but as we're seeing players come out talk about you know that there's no place in the game for this there needs to be a harsh punishment for this when this happens and baseball you know the 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 optics of it are that they're trying to have as little impact and covered up as much as possible. They don't want to come down with a hammer on individual players. They're perhaps worried about Pandora's box, what that could open up. So th- there's been some criticism, certainly from Dodgers players. You recall when, when some of that stuff was going on with the uh, internet videos of the buzzer allegedly being worn by Jose Altuve. Really nothing has come of that since. That's not been substantiated. But it, the fever pitch that was the cheating scandal that week when all that was coming out was enough that it didn't really matter, you know, that we had all the facts at the time. They're seeing all these allegations come out, and that was enough for Dodgers players. I remember a couple of them had had spoken out about, you know, talking about how ridiculous this is and how baseball needs to clean this up. There were tweets, you know, people are kind of starting to, within the game, speak up about these issues. And now this week, we have news break. The announcement first comes that... Hey, you know, people start to report Major League Baseball could be looking to expand their postseason to 14 teams. And the optics of that, for you know, we I'm going to get into my view on the proposal and what I think of it. But just the optics of the timing of the fact that, look, like the biggest story this winter has been, and now into spring, has been the Astros and the cheating scandal. And what's going to be done about it? I think from Major League Baseball's perspective, they think it's already been handled. They, you know... They're good to go. They don't have any plans to necessarily enact any further punishment. The players are going to get off. It's going to be what it is, and it'll just be left in the court of public opinion to decide, you know, the extent to which certain people were cheating and who was responsible. And I know the Carlos Beltran story has come out in The Athletic within the last couple of days. But just as this continues to kind of circulate in the baseball universe, now you're starting to see players come out and talk about the issues and Trevor Bauer, love him or hate him, he's he's outspoken, he's entertaining on Twitter, and he's somebody that's now started to kind of aim a little bit of criticism at Rob Manfred, and it has come as a result of this 14-team playoff proposal that Bauer is evidently not a fan of because he tweeted, this was February 10th, so, and I'm going to struggle with dates as we as we rip through the spring training, and so I'm already doing it. It's my first day here. The 10th was Monday. 
Bauer tweeted this on Monday evening. No idea who made this new playoff format proposal, but Rob is responsible for releasing it, so I'll direct this to you, Rob Manfred. Your proposal is absurd for too many reasons to type on Twitter and proves you have absolutely no clue about baseball. Period. You're a joke. Period. End tweet. So a pretty strong statement from Reds pitcher Trevor Bauer regarding the commissioner of baseball at this point in time doesn't like the proposal and I'll get into the proposal in a minute, what it is, what it entails and what it, you know, what it would have looked like potentially in past seasons. If major league baseball had had this system in place for previous postseasons, and kind of just get into, I'm not a fan of it at all. I think it's ridiculous, which means it'll probably happen in the case of the way major league baseball operates. But before I dive into that, Bauer's not the only one recently. Brandon McCarthy, regarding this Astros cheating story, something out of the Washington Post tweeted out, and the quote was, the whole industry knows they've been cheating their asses off for three or four years. And the story on more suspicions about the Astros and how this has been something throughout baseball that was maybe a little bit better known and, and, you know, was just something everybody kind of knew, but, you know, just had to felt like they had to deal with and gloss over it rather than it, you know, be the one to bring it to light until Mike Fires eventually did bring it to light and then it was investigated and everything came out. But Brandon McCarthy, regarding back to this Astros thing, he said, this was yesterday, there's no question that MLB and Rob Manfred need to publicly answer for his lack of action on this issue. This went on for years, spoiled postseasons and careers, while ultimately eroding public trust, pardon me, public internal trust in the game and those who shepherd it. Strong statement from another guy who's active social media, Twitter, Brandon McCarthy, Major League Baseball pitcher. So you're seeing pitchers, players, active players have an issue with the performance of the commissioner. Not to mention, oh yeah, we've got a a collective bargaining agreement that's coming due here in the next year after 2021, I believe it is. And yeah, that's not going to be pretty players going after the commissioner and can you can you really blame them at this point with with the way things have just been handled and I got to tell you from my own personal experience you know I've never interviewed Rob Manfred but I I've, I've been in these rooms where at these national events major league baseball holds these press conferences and these opportunities for you know the national media anybody who wants to to ask questions about you know, the status of baseball and and different rule proposals and different things that have been discussed to Rob Manfred. I've I've seen this twice. Once last year at spring training, again at the winter meetings this past December in San Diego. Both times, I I just, you know, I was working on some, some stories covering local Cardinal stuff. I wasn't in the position where I felt the need to go up and ask a question to to Manfred. So I'm just sitting back typing away, you know, and I'm I'm hearing this kind of news conference go down in the far end of the room and it's like a battle every time Manfred is asked a question and it's just you know, it's the re- reporters and the media's job to just ask relevant questions about what's going on in baseball. And every time it's like the the defensive way that Manfred goes about answering these questions and kind of dismissive in some cases it just seems like he's not always equipped for the questions that are heading his way. And it's just kind of surprising in, in some cases that, 
you know, topics that you'd think would be, you know, easy to handle, you'd have an answer for, sometimes seem to elude him in the past. And so that's just my personal impression from a couple of times being in the same room and seeing how he handles these press events. But the way you handle the media is is far down the list of elements of his his role that that should be explored and and you know should be graded on how he's doing hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another aspect of this, and I promise I am going to get into this this 14-team situation proposal that could come to Major League Baseball within the next couple of years. I'm going to get to it, but I want to also touch on, because we're trying to bring you the totality of what Major League Baseball looks like today from the league standpoint this minor league situation where they're talking about contracting dozens of teams you know just all these cities that have had minor league baseball for years and years would lose their their affiliates and would have really no say in the matter and it kind of feels like you know the way it's been presented and and Manfred's talked about it but he just kind of it's like a cognitive dissonance between what he sees and what minor league baseball sees and even Bill DeWitt was asked about this at, at winter warm-up, and he, he started talking about, I don't remember the exact quote, but Mr. DeWitt started speaking about you know, how, the, how it could be a positive thing for baseball and provide opportunities for young players, and I, I, you know, I, I don't see how that is possibly the way you could, could view this because in reality it's going to mean fewer teams, fewer affiliates, fewer players playing affiliate baseball. So if if the way you think it's going to provide more opportunity for players is that unaffiliated leagues like the frontier league and independent leagues of that nature are then going to, you know, the talent crop is going to rise to the top from those leagues. And then those guys will get a chance in affiliate baseball. I, it just doesn't really make sense to me. And I don't know how you, you parse that out for it to, to be a real thing that, yeah, this is going to actually help young players in baseball. I guess you could argue that the ones that do still get an affiliate job would, would be able to be paid more, but I don't know that that's a guarantee as part of this proposal to contract minor league teams. And so, again, and every time minor league baseball has come back and said they've made their statements, they've made them public, and they've said, look, here's our stance. We're negotiating in good faith. We're doing what we can. It doesn't feel like major league side is doing that. It feels like they're just trying to railroad us, and they've said it as politely as possible. But it seems pretty clear, Major League Baseball trying to kind of railroad the minor league side on these elements because they're in the position of of strength and power, and they have, I guess they perceive that they have the ability to do that, and whatever backlash comes will be what it is, and, you know, they'll they'll just kind of brush past it and, and move on. And maybe they will. That's totally plausible considering the uh, the position of strength that Major League Baseball stands in these matters. But now, you know, you're going to be kind of vying and arguing and, and working with your players, for one, to try and, you know, the Players Association to try and extend this collective bargaining agreement. That's going to be one thing you have to do. And now you're, you, you know, you're, you're fighting on the other side with minor league baseball to just have, you know, have them 
exists in in their current form rather than just unilaterally suggest and say here's what's going to happen we're contracting all of these organizations of these affiliates and and here's the teams that are going bye-bye and and the reason mr dewitt cited was in the same as manfred has said their facilities are not up to snuff they're not up to par of what they need to be etc etc and this it reminds me of and i hate to say it because it would mean not a good direction potentially for what would happen with minor league baseball here but it reminds me almost exactly of the way the St. Louis Rams, Kroenke, Demoff, and the like, approached the relocation situation. None of that was operating in good faith, as St. Louis sports fans know by now. It was a fraud, a sham from the from the entire thing. It was just gonna they were gonna move to L.A. Relocation guidelines and rules, and you know, telling the truth be damned. They weren't, and and so. From a 10,000-foot view of this minor league, major league feud that's going on, I don't know how it'll get solved, but I hope it does, and I hope it's with without losing a lot of affiliates. And, and, you know, just looking through some of the list of the teams that would be contracted, the state of Tennessee has a, a ton of minor league affiliates littered throughout their state, and I think I saw five or six at least that would be just gone in the blink of an eye from, from the state of Tennessee, and and the Cardinals would have some of their lower-level organizations, affiliates, uh, contracted as well. State College, Johnson City, I believe, and, and Johnson City in Tennessee, of course, of the Appalachian League. That's one of the teams, I believe, being discussed as potentially being contracted if this goes to happen. So that's, you know, I wanted to touch on that minor league situation because I haven't talked about it yet on the podcast. And it seems relevant today as we are kind of, talking around all of the issues surrounding Manfred and how it's been fans on, on Twitter, baseball fans have said for a while, you know, we're not really fans of this guy. And they've often asked, and I think in part kind of in jest, but also kind of serious. Does Rob Manfred actually like baseball? A lot of people, you know, if you read tweets, a lot of people say, yeah, he, he doesn't seem to like baseball because at every turn he he's proposing or trying to work through these these changes that are not necessarily in the view of the majority uh, beneficial to baseball and so I, I bring up that minor league situation as now I'm going to get into it the latest you know confusing proposal for baseball would be to have a 14 team postseason that would be the new playoff structure for major league baseball and the way this would work would be to go from instead of just two wild cards in each the national american league they'd move to four four wild cards which okay if you do that though what happens to actually winning a division and the answer to that would be absolutely nothing unless you're the number one record in the league and you win your division because in, under this proposal, only divi- the division winner with the best regular season record would advance directly to the ALDS or the NLDS. So you've got six divisions. Now you've got two division winners that, okay, you're in the LDS. Everybody else, you're not. you got to play the wild card round, which would be a best of three, not a best of five, not a single game. This would be new. A best of three. And the way they would choose 
who would play who in these wild card rounds, of which there would now be six, three in the National League, three in the American League, the way they would decide is with essentially a televised selection show, during which the teams with the second best record in both the AL and NL would select their first round opponent from the three lowest seeded wild card teams from their league. They get their pick. And then the other division winner gets to pick from the two remaining lowest seeded wild card teams. And then the top wild card team would host whichever other wild card team was not picked. You know, presumably the one that isn't picked would be viewed as the most dangerous of the three because nobody wanted to play them. And so that, you know, that's, that's how they, they balance it out. But to me, if you're inviting the idea that you pick your opponent, which yeah, it'd make for a great TV show on one night. I I think it totally, totally disincentivizes the idea of winning a division. This entire proposal does. And you might say, well, you know, it would incentivize because you want to be the one to win the pennant, essentially, like what it used to be when they're, you know, only one team, you know, the NL winner was the regular season winner, the AL winner, and they'd play in the World Series. So now, you know, essentially it's like strengthening the, the best record in each league because they're the only one that gets the benefit of advancing to the the LDS. Whereas now, every division winner gets to go to the LDS and the wild card teams face off for the right to join them. Makes sense. But if you're going to do this proposal, why even have divisions? Like, what's the point? You're going you're gonna to take two division winners and tell them, okay, sorry, but you're basically a wild card team. You got to play an extra round. And it's not even just like the one game now. You got to play potentially three extra games to advance. You got to win two of them. It doesn't matter that you won your division. You're essentially on the same level playing field as maybe a team that didn't even have a winning record this season. And you're playing a, you know, a three-game weekend series, essentially. Just, you know, it could be like just in June, in June or early April. Three games, whoever wins the series advances. A lot can happen in, in three games, and, and you're going to see some crazy stuff if this plays out where a team who maybe doesn't even have a winning record could unseat a division champion and advance to the LDS. What's the point? I mean, it's just ridiculous. And and so bringing back to my point about how it would disincentivize teams actually trying to win the division, imagine you're one of those middling teams who, you know, like it was referenced as the Brewers being a team that trimmed payroll like 20% after two really strong winning seasons. And so maybe because of that, they didn't go out and improve their team after they lost a lot of talent this winter to free agency. And because of that, they end up with a record of 80 and 82. You know, they kind of take a step back. But that's okay under this scenario because you're still middle of the pack. You probably just made the freaking playoffs at 80 and 82. And so we talk about competitive balance and, and you want to you curb the whole tanking phenomenon, this would do the opposite. I don't buy it for a second that you say, well, now more teams would be involved, so teams would probably not want to tank because they're, you know, they recognize that if you win 78 games, you might actually make the playoffs. So why would you tank? No, no, it does the opposite. Look at the teams. You know, you talk about the Cardinals. A lot of people say, well, they didn't do enough this winter. They didn't add to their offense. 
They had a middling offense last year. They lost Ozuna, and they didn't add. Okay, if 14 teams made the playoffs, you think that would be incentive for the Cardinals to try more with their offseason spending, or any other team for that matter? Teams that view themselves as, eh, we might have a chance this year. We're in the middle, but we need a little something to get us over the hump. Now they're going to go out and, and do more because more teams make the playoffs? No, that's ridiculous. It's common sense, and Major League Baseball doesn't have it with this proposal, if they're serious with this stuff. It's common sense that a team projected to win about 84 games rather than spend more on on talent, go out and make that trade and go for it to try to get themselves to 88 or 89 wins, which could be the difference between the postseason and not the postseason. Now they're going to say, hell, 84 is enough. Why would we Why would we try to, to go any more than that? Because unless we're at 102, like the Dodgers are going to be this year, unless we can beat them, why does it even matter if we win our division? It doesn't. We could just as easily be one of those random wildcard teams that wins 82 games and makes the playoffs. And then we'll, we'll, we'll take our chances. We get the postseason revenue anyway, so what's it matter? I, I mean, seriously, that's that's exactly what this would do. And I've I've hailed Major League Baseball in the past for being one of the few sports that has meaning to their regular season. The most meaning, you could argue. I know the NFL pretty meaningful because you only have 16 games. But even in the NFL, 38% of teams reach the playoffs. 12 out of 32. 38%. In the NBA, it's more than half. That's why nobody watches the regular season in the NBA. It's exciting what they can do athletically. Those those NBA professional basketball players is astounding. I, I like the league, but 53% make the, make the playoffs. I'll tune in in April. You know, I'll tune in when the playoffs start, maybe. Maybe not even then. Because the first round, in most cases, is going to be just completely a joke between those one seeds and eight seeds. How many times is an eight seed really going to unseat a one seed in the NBA? I'll give the NHL credit. Their system is kind of a joke, too, but it works because of the parity in hockey. It makes for a phenomenal Stanley Cup playoffs where you can have those kinds of upsets. And because it's a seven-game series, they make you earn it. It lasts like four months, the NHL postseason, but it's worth it because it's it's really, really good quality television. It's good sporting event. It's good to watch. But objectively, 52% of their teams make the postseason. Major League Baseball? 33%, 10 out of 30. That's the best ratio, giving the most meaning to the regular season across the four major sports by, by a decent little chunk. And I know you might talk about MLB expanding, and if they do, they could expand the playoffs with it. But if you do that, you, you might as well just rip up the division system because to try and do this and keep it with three divisions – and basically say you could we'll call you the division winner but it actually doesn't mean anything is just insane to me and players don't like it either talked about the Trevor Bauer tweet i believe there've been a few others they don't like it fans don't like it and here's here's a reason for fans not to like it okay you know you might be happy if your team makes the playoffs and they otherwise wouldn't have i get that but looking back at 2019 for instance you'd have had the 85-win Diamondbacks in the NL as the worst wildcard team and the 84-win Red Sox. 
that's not the end of the world. But again, if you're talking about teams that are right on that cusp of maybe they need to do a little bit more to try to make a run, they're not going to do it. When you can win 85 games and pretty much guarantee yourself a playoff spot, why wouldn't you do that? Let's go back another year to 2018. The Pirates would have been in the playoffs with 82 wins. They would have been just on the same level playing field with the Dodgers, who won their division, the West, with the Braves, who won the East. Both of those teams finished with more than 90 wins. And in this season, there would have been some some wild card tiebreaker situations because you wouldn't probably have to do it if you're splitting the division. It wouldn't really matter. But in this case, the Cubs and Brewers played that game, game number 163, for the NL Central. The team that won that game, the Brewers, would end up with the bye in the NL because they they won the division. They had the best record in the league. But how would they have done that? Would they have played that game anyway? Both teams finishing at 95 and 67. Wouldn't you have to? Because one team wins the division and advances to the LDS. The other team is part of this wild card garbage. So, but to say the loser of that game would be on par at 95 wins with the 82-win Pirates because they both make the same round is ridiculous. Looking over in the American League, actually wouldn't have been that bad that season for the AL. The Mariners, 89 wins would have been wild card number four. The Rays would have got in at 90 wins. But that season, the two wild cards were the Yankees with 100 wins, the Athletics with 97. Clearly, head and shoulders with the work they did in the regular season above the Mariners and Rays, despite the fact that those two teams also had pretty good records. You know, the Cardinals won 91 games last year. Barely more than than these prospective wildcard teams from the AL in 2018. But it's so far behind the teams that actually did earn the wildcard spots that I think you could say, hey, the system actually worked out just fine that year. Okay, let's go back another year to 2017. Cardinals would have made it. That would have made St. Louis happy. 83 wins. Did the Cardinals deserve to be a playoff team in 2017? Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. The AL gets even better in 2017. The two wildcard teams that year were the Twins at 85 wins, the Yankees at 91. Okay, that's fine. Kind of a weak field for the wildcard in the AL that year. 85 wins is the second wildcard. Did you maybe deserve it? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But that happens sometimes. The Indians, Cleveland, certainly would have earned their opportunity to have a bye that year. They won 102 games to win the Central. But the Astros, one game behind them, won 101 games. They would be in the wild card round. Do you know who they probably would be playing? An 80-win Tampa Bay Rays or an 80-win Los Angeles Angels in that 2017 season. 80 wins, 101 wins gets you the exact same thing in the wild card round. That cannot happen. That would be a disaster for baseball. And sure, the better team might end up winning. But they they don't even deserve to be on the same field as a 100-win team. If you don't win, go 500. It's just insane. You don't even win 81 games. You're supposed to make the playoffs. Year before that, we're going back to 2016 now. The Marlins at 79 wins would have made the playoffs. Cardinals would have snuck in again. Would have been great for the Cardinals to have this scenario because they'd have, 
you know, <laughs> their just missing out would have never happened because they'd have made it each time. 79 wins, so that's going to get you in the playoffs. That, it, it's happened. That's just an example running back through the last five years. It's happened enough times that you know it's going to happen again, and you know that it would cause some issues. And it wouldn't, it just, you just leave a nasty feeling in your mouth as a baseball fan. It would me. It would just be ridiculous. And they're going to do it. I, I'm telling you, like I said, my first reaction was it's a terrible plan, which means it's probably going to happen because it probably means more money, more revenue, more teams making the place playoffs. But if you've thought that in the past teams haven't packed their stadium for meaningful games in September or meaningful games you know, afternoon LDS game, you're like, wow, that's not even a packed crowd in whatever city. Just wait until this happens. It's just ridiculous. I shouldn't even have to say anything more other than, yeah, three times in the last five years, a team would have made the postseason with an under 500 record. That's that's all that should be said because it should not happen. Just a joke. So we'll wait and see. This this was not a very upbeat episode, and we'll, we'll get into Cardinals talk tomorrow, I promise. But, I, you know, I just had to kind of sound off on this postseason structure thing because it's a, it's a terrible idea. But, you know, Major League Baseball has had plenty of those over the years. So we'll see. You know, I used to think that, that baseball was, among the four major sports, one of, you know, the, the they, they did it right. They had sensible judgment on some things. Things are spinning out of control right here in 2020. We'll wait and see how it develops and how how the commissioner Manfred answers to some of these these situations. But I've I've not seen much you know talk in favor of this 14 proposal. And if somebody does favor it, you quickly tell them, hey, here's what it would do, and they realize, oh, duh, it's a terrible idea. So we'll see. I know I sound pretty peeved today, but I am. I'm I'm mad about this. Because it's one of those things like the DH situation, bringing the DH to the NL, that's going to happen. It, it's not. I'm not a fan of it, but it doesn't. It doesn't fundamentally alter the competitive balance of of the sport. You know, if anything, it brings it to an even level where, you know, both sides are operating under the same rules. I'm not a fan of the DH, but it's not going anywhere in the AL, so it's inevitable that it's coming to the NL. This is totally different, and it's in a bad way. Not a fan of it. Not a lot of confidence that they're going to, to, you know, hear what the fans and the players have to say and potentially pivot off of it. I hope they do, but we'll have to wait and see. This has been b Shafe Daily. I'm going to leave you guys here. I've already went a little bit longer than, I, than I'm trying to go for these episodes. Uh, but definitely give me a shout on Twitter. Tell me what you think of the takes on uh, a, a pretty hot topic in baseball right now. I'm at b Shafer 12 over there. Facebook.com slash for 12 as well. We'll start to post some pictures from, from Cardinals camp over the next couple of days there. And as always, you can leave me a message, a voice message to be played on the show, anchor.fm slash for 12 slash message if you'd like to get involved that way. We'll have plenty more shows coming your way over the next three weeks live from Jupiter, Florida. I'm excited to get going with spring training with Cardinals camp. It's here, everybody. And baseball is just around the corner. This has been another episode of B-Shape Daily. Thanks for joining me, and I will talk to you tomorrow.